turn to Romans chapter 10, if you would. Romans chapter 10. I'm the, I have two jobs. One is that um, I'm the director of missions for River Valley Mission Network, which is your association of churches that runs all the way from Beaver Dam, Littlefield, all the way down south to I-10 and head out to Eastern California um, in the desert center. So that's a big area. It's about six hours from top to bottom. I've got about 28 churches. And uh, I spend my day just out visiting churches, helping and doing different things. My second job, which is temporary, is I, I'm the interim pastor at First Southern and Kingman. So I've been doing that for about six months. And they're looking for a real guy, and hopefully they'll get a suspect in custody soon. And uh, I'll be paroled from that church. So um, anyway, I preached the 830 service there and then snuck out and came here for this service. So doing double duty today. And um, I have uh, my wife with me. And then um, I have my mom with me. My mom, uh, my mom's just celebrated her 92nd birthday with us, and uh, she's here from, yeah, she's <laughs> she's here from Alaska for about uh, 10 days. So um, she's heading home on Tuesday, back to the cold weather. So all right, Romans chapter 10. Uh, I've entitled the, the, the message, Mistaken Zeal. You know, you can be excited about a lot of things and have great zeal, but um, if it's not in the right direction, you have a problem. So um, Paul has written Romans, and he's going to talk to us about his desire for his countrymen, Israel, to be saved. And so my, here's what I normally do in a message. I take the first few minutes, and I talk about the theology of the passage. And then after I do that, I take the last few minutes um, and I talk about the practical, something to put in use. So we're going to do theology first, and then we're going to go to practical after that, okay? And by few minutes, you realize I don't mean three, right? Okay, I'm a preacher, not three. Few means, like, yeah, okay. Do you guys like jokes? Okay, I'll tell you one, just to warm you up, all right? So a visitor comes to church with his friend, and he's new to church, and he has no idea what, what's going on. And so... The choir guy gets up, the music guy goes like this, and the friend says, what does that mean? He said, it means we all stand. It's okay. And then they're going along for a while, and then um, the pastor bows his head, and the guy, the new guy says, what does that mean? He said, well, we're going to pray, so you bow your heads, you know. And so then after a while, the offering plates come out, and the guy says, what does that mean? He said, well, we're going to receive the offering. I said, okay. So the preacher's preaching along, and he goes like this, you know. And his friend says, what does that mean? And the guy says, not a thing. Not a thing. <laughs> There's supposed to be a watch right there, you know. So anyway, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for all the Israelites is that they may be saved. So here's the first issue. Um, Paul wishes that all of his Hebrew brethren, his Israelite brethren, would be saved. If you go back one chapter to verse 9, he says the same thing in verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I could myself be accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel, because they have all the advantages of spirituality, but a lot of them are not believers. So chapter 10, he says the same thing. 
My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved because a lot of his brothers are not saved. Now, verses 2 through 4 talk about the zeal of these folks. For I can testify about them, my brothers, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So Paul says their zealousness is not for God. It's their own version of being zealous. He said they don't know the righteousness of God because their righteousness is not based on knowledge. So God has provided the knowledge of himself. He's provided salvation. He provided Christ. But these Israelites are not basing their spiritual life on the things of God. He said they established their own righteousness. So here's God's law. Here's God's morality. Here's God's way. But these guys have said, okay, here are the set of laws that we're going to make. We're going to live by our own set of laws. So Paul is disturbed because people like you are in the midst of spiritual stuff, and they say, we're not going God's direction. We're going to make stuff of our own. All right? So there's some examples in Scripture of this. If you look at Matthew, don't turn because I don't want to take all this time, but um, if you look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, the disciples are coming up, and they're about to eat something, and the Pharisees the guys who are in charge of the spiritual things in Israel, who Christ really has some harsh things to say about, um, they come up and say to him, why do your um, disciples not wash their hands according to the commandments of the elders or the tradition of the elders? You see what he's saying? Okay, you guys are doing something that we think is wrong. It's not based on scripture. It's based on the traditions of the elders, all right? Um, if you look in Matthew 21, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and the Pharisees come up and they say to him, Hey, you're teaching in the temple. By what authority do you have to teach about God in the temple? What a strange question. He's in the temple. He's in the place where God is supposed to be taught, and he's teaching. And they're like, You don't have authority to teach here. But who gave you the authority to speak? All right? So Paul is saying, you guys are zealous, or my, my countrymen are zealous for, for God, but they're not zealous for the God of the Scriptures. They're zealous for the God and the, and the things that we have de determined to be that way. All right? And then he said, wait a minute, Christ is the righteousness, not the laws that they made. Okay? So in verse 1, uh, he desires that Israel be saved. Verse 2, they have a zealousness, but for their own version of God. Right? Chapter 10, verse 5, if you read along with me. Moses described in this way the righteousness that is in the law, the law of God. The man who does these things will live by them. Right? So you have the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, and then you have these laws made by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all these people who are religious but not godly. And he said, now wait a minute, righteousness comes by following what God has said. All right? Now, here's when he begins to change direction. Because he says, right now you guys are zealous, 
for what you know is your own law that you made up. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears with you guys and I'm gonna talk about something else, and that's faith in Christ. Alright, so verses six through ten. Here's what he says. But the righteousness that is by faith, alright? So he's talking about you're zealous <clears throat> for a law that's, that you made up, but here is righteousness uh, is by the law. I'm, I'm sorry, righteousness. Well, let me back up. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the deep. But what does it say? The word is near you. The word about righteousness is near you. Right? It is in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you confess and are saved. All right? So verses 6 through 10, he moves to the faith in God. So the word of God is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart. Um, so with the mouth, confession is made and you're saved. In the heart, you believe and justified. Now, um, I, don't, I don't watch a lot of TV. We don't have a TV. We haven't had one for about 11 years. Um, so I don't see a lot of news. We do have uh, a computer, uh, a little laptop in our living room, and we watch CBS.com, and we have Hulu, and we have some things where we see a few shows, but I don't, I don't see the news very often. Um, but when I check the Internet, maybe I'll, I'll look at a news site. Um, how many of you saw the news article this week about the Supreme Court turning down hearing a case about a young man in high school who was forced to do something religiously that he objected to. Anybody see that? All right, so <clears throat> there was a high school student, I believe he was a junior, and they were doing some kind of religion study, and um, the assignment was to take that religion and if I named it, you will recognize it right away, but I'm not going to. Um, and they had to write the confession or the creed. And so uh, they had to do this thing, and they, had to, they were forced to uh, write a conversion prayer to this other religion. And um, um, I, could, I, could, I could cite the creed for you, but I won't because of where this might be going. I want to be careful here. Um, I can cite the creed. And that religion believes that if you cite the creed, which I've done many times in, as examples, they believe if you recite the creed, then you become a member of that religion. Right? So this young man who is a Christian did not want to be involved in that type of situation and did not want anybody to say about him that he would be this. All right? Here's the problem with that thought pattern, not of the young man's thought pattern, but the thought pattern of that other religion that believes if you just say the words, you become it. So they will often try and get you to say the, the creed or the confession of their faith. And if you say it, then you're one of them automatically. Now, that's a lot different than what the scripture says about Christianity. Because the Bible says, with your mouth you confess. So if you say that um, Jesus is Lord, that's only part of it. Because as believers in Christ, it's the mouth with confession and it's the heart 
with belief. You have to believe what you say. Now, I could walk in the midst of those that those other uh, those other religion that other religion. I can walk in the middle of their their most religious ceremony, and I, and if I said the creed, I would not become one of them because I do not believe like they believe. All right. So the difference here that Paul is trying to say is, faith switches gears. Okay, it's not being zealous in the wrong direction, and it's not just saying Jesus is Lord, but it's two things. It's believing in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, and then it's confessing that Christ is Lord. It's belief in the heart, and it is confession. All right? So he wants to make that very clear. And then verse 11, just in case the people don't understand this, this is fantastic. Um, I, got a, I got a lot of compliments from the sermon this morning, but it's so simple. I'm just repeating what he said. You know, when you start with good material, it's easy to kind of have a good sermon. And so... This is amazingly simple in what he says. And there's no way I can mess this up. This is a great thing about preaching through the Bible. If you just hang on to it, you can't mess it up. Okay, verse 11. Here's what it says. Um, As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, in Jesus, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, now, <clears throat> I want to I kind of walk through this just, a, just very quickly. The scripture says, anyone who trusts. Now, what, what exactly does that mean? Anyone. Pretty simple. Anyone who trusts in the Lord will be saved. In case the people didn't understand this, in case they were thinking, well, anyone from the Jews or anyone from this or that. Paul then says, anyone who trusts in the Lord will be saved. There is no difference in Jew and Gentile. All right? So here's the deal. In those days, there were two types of people. Actually, this is four, but uh, there are two. All right? There were the Jews, and then there was everybody else. didn't matter what you were. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. Right? So Paul says, anyone who trusts, and then he says, there's no difference in Jew and Gentile. Anyone means you can be a Jew and trust. You can be a Gentile or someone who's not a Jew and you can trust. Right? So you can be a Jew or you can be a white guy from chloride. Right? You can be a black guy from Harlem. You can be uh, a woman from Yemen. You can be a kid from Las Vegas. It does not matter. Okay? So anyone who trusts, verse 11, there's no difference. It's all the same. And he said, because it's the same Lord who's Lord over all. Do you get how clear and plain this is? There's no mistaking this. And just in case someone says, well, I'm not really sure. Then he says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a great message. That's a great message. He's saying, it's not by the stuff you guys do over here that's all made up. It's by God's grace, through Christ, through righteousness, through faith in your heart, confession, and if you choose to do this, all of you are eligible, then he says as a culmination, 
everyone, there's no exception, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right? So that's the theology. All right? So let me give you three or four practical things I've thought about, about this thing. In, in my first set of notes, um, I put the idea of zeal as a two-edged sword. And then as I was reworking them, I thought, you know what, there's three things. So I made up something new. Um, I made up a three-edged sword. Now, I don't know how that works. Um, the thought of having a sword that's a triangle just doesn't really look like it cuts much, but, okay, give me a break, okay? Uh, all right. Zeal is a three-edged sword. First of all, one edge is, zeal is good. Excitement, uh, an all-in attitude, it's fun. It's good to be around, all right? You guys watching baseball? World Series? World Series is that, baseball is that round thing that has stitches on it. They use a bat and they, you know, okay. Um, my mother is a fanatic. Now, we don't have television, but my mother's here. She wants to watch the World Series. So we brought in a television just for her. It's sitting in the middle of our living room. Makes no sense where it is, but it's right in front of her nice little comfy chair. Got a little footstool. She lays there and we serve her food and, you know, she watches, you know, you know, and uh, the teams are crazy. The teams are, yeah, it's tied up two to two, the best of seven. And the crowds are going berserk and there's so much zeal. And my mother's talking to the television set. She's talking to the players. It's like, Mom, they can't hear you. They're, it's like a TV. And she's just so into it. She has this great excitement, this all-in attitude. She's fussing at the players when they don't do right. So zeal is fun. It's good. It's fun to have excitement, right? Okay. But it can be incomplete. So it can be good, but it can be incomplete. In uh, Acts chapter 18, there's a guy named Apollos. And the scripture says he has great zeal, but he doesn't understand the scriptures all the way. So two people, a married couple... Aquila and Priscilla get with him and the Bible says they instruct him on the better way so they give him more instruction so zeal is good number one number two zeal can be incomplete because like Apollos was excited but he didn't know quite enough so they taught him but zeal can be wrong zeal can be wrong right it's kind of like when you're driving along for you for you men in the audience uh, and you're with your wife and uh you're driving down the highway at 65 miles an hour, and your wife says, you know, I think you're going the wrong way. And you say, maybe, but we're making really good time. <laughs> okay. I'm excited to get there wherever we're going. We're the last, all right? So zeal can be wrong, even going the wrong direction. Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 23, there's a section where Jesus meets up with the Pharisees and it's a famous section of seven woes. Woe to you Pharisees, woe to you. And he says all kinds of stuff. And basically his whole message is you are teaching the people one thing and you're messing them up. Woe to you for all the bad things you're doing. In fact, at one point in this chapter, he said you're forcing people to become converts of you, of this law stuff that doesn't work, and you're making them twice the son of hell as you. He's saying, your zeal is so bad, it's so awful, that it's driving them the wrong way and making it almost impossible for them to find God because they're now becoming twice the son of hell that you are. That's pretty strong condemnation. So zeal is a three-edged sword. It can be good. It can be incomplete. 
but it can be wrong. We, we know folks who get excited about stuff, and they're just wrong. And sometimes in religion, people get excited about wrong stuff, right? So number one, zeal is a three-edged sword. Number two, um, you can be kind of righteous um, through the law that man makes, and you can be a good person, but it's inadequate. Um, I call it Baptist law. You can, you can obey the Baptist law. Do you know what the Baptist laws are? Well, number one, um, at least when I was growing up, you had to be a five-star Christian. It means you had to five stars. You had to come to Sunday school. You had to come to morning worship. You had to come to church training. Anybody know what church training is? Yeah. It's like Sunday evening Sunday school. And that was number three. Then number four, you had to come to Sunday night worship. And then the fifth one was Wednesday, Wednesday night prayer meeting. So if you made all five of those, you were a good Baptist. You got bonus points if you went to Tuesday night visitation where you went and visited people came to church. And you got other bonus points if you went to Thursday night choir practice, you know. But if you were there, now you're just kind of happy if you're a creaster. You know what a creaster is? Anybody know a creaster? Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> as long as you come at Christmas or Easter. They call those CEO Christians. CEO. Christmas, Easter only. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So the Baptist law attendance. The Baptist law is if you have to give your money, you have to tithe. The Baptist law is if you get on a committee, um, if you obey the church covenant. Anybody remember church covenant growing up? Anybody? Okay. I remember seeing, I never, I remember seeing them in one of the churches I served. It's a big thing on the wall. It says church covenant. And back in the old days in Baptist life, you had to sign this. I, I agree with this. And so I'll give you, I'll, I'll sum it up for you. I'm not going to smoke or drink or dance or chew, and I'm certainly not going to go out with girls who do. <laughs> that was, I was, well, I was a little more serious than that, you know. But it was like, okay, so if I just go to all the things at church, every time the doors open, if I just tithe, I'm on committees, I obey the church covenant, then I'm a good Baptist, and therefore I'm a good Christian, right? It doesn't work that way. But a lot of times that's what people think. Okay, so you can be good that way, or you can be righteous through Christ. So your choices are to obey all the church rules or to follow the righteousness of Christ by faith as concerned with your heart and your actions. See, a lot of people think, like the Jews of old, that if I just do things, even if my heart's not in it, then I'm okay. But the scripture says no. It starts with the heart following after God, and that's where your righteousness is through Christ. Okay? So zeal is okay, but you have to be careful with it. And then you have a, number two, you have a choice of how to be right, either through like Baptist life or through God. All right? Here's the third thing. You have the word of God. It's available to you. Right? Now, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet, but they had the Old Testament. They had the prophets. They had the temple. They had the, um, the worship styles. They had all the things they needed. And now we have even more. You have the word of God. There's enough in this one passage that I preach to you that you know the gospel. Now, if you go back to Romans chapter 2, the scripture says that God has put in your heart all you need to know about him 
And if you reject him, you have no excuse. That's before you even heard the word. In Romans chapter 2, he says, you have everything in your heart. God's placed it there. You have no excuse. Now, by the time you get to this section, you have this, you have this spelled out that it's available to you. You have no excuse. I told that big group this morning. Some of you um, may not know Christ, but you have no excuse. Because God put it in your heart long ago. And now you've heard in just this one passage what Christ can do. All right? And so as I close, here's the fourth thing. Here's how you know. So you can have this salvation. It's available to you. Now listen to this. This is, this is so simple. I, I almost felt guilty getting paid at the other church. Now you're not paying me because I, I work for the association. They pay me, so don't, I'm not making like some, I'm not trying to, what am I trying to say? I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm not trying to, um, yeah, whatever, okay. Yeah, because I'm already paid, so I'm not, I'm just trying, not trying to hint about you need to pay me because I'm this time. Okay, so um, I was, I was like, it was so simple. It's like, why would you guys even pay me for this? Because it's so simple. It, I mean, you want to you wanna pay me to bring you big words and fancy things. No, I'm going to, this is, okay, here's what it says. Okay, in, in these last verses, it says salvation is available to you. The word, the word is anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Anyone. Um, who is anyone? It's you. Now, by the way, I'm a Greek scholar. Um, I've had five semesters of biblical Greek. All right? I've had Greek 1, Greek 1, Greek 1, Greek 1, and then I skinny by in Greek 2. That's usually a joke. Um, if I'm around preacher friends, they get it right away because most of them failed it too. Um, but I can tell you in the original language uh, what anyone means. You. That's simple. Anyone, you. Right? And then it says uh, there's no difference. The Jews or the, or the Gentiles. Doesn't matter. So it's not just you. It's like you're in. You're not excluded. You're in. Right? So salvation is available to you because it's you and you're in. And then he says the same word for all. It means you qualify. You're not just in, you qualify. Because the scripture says, Christ is the same Lord for all. For the Jews, for the Gentiles, anyone, there's no difference. Same Lord, you, you're in, you qualify. And then the scripture says, anyone who calls on Jesus can be saved. So this is for you. Scripture says you're in, says you qualify, and then it says you can. It's available. You can. Because anyone who, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, this is my first time here, so I have no idea about any of you. I don't have any clue. So if I'm looking at you, I'm not targeting you, I'm just looking at you, okay? I'm just saying, here's the deal. I don't know if this is your first time, or you've been here for, since the church started 128 years ago, or whenever it was. I don't know. I don't know your spiritual background. I don't know if you're a priester. I don't know if you're here every time the doors open. I don't know. But here's what I know. Here's what the scripture says, that you can be saved. And if you've not been saved yet, today you can be saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So whatever point you say and you know God's working with you, you believe in your heart and then Whomever you say it to, whether you say it to your pastor or to your family, your friends, some other church member, confess, your, confess Christ as Lord, you can be saved. Now here's the other thing. Um, a lot of us have friends and family that 
um, we're not sure God's ever going to deal with. It's like, really? Are they, you know, they're kind of bad or they're kind of out there. They're kind of wandering. Um, we have a son that's wandering spiritually. Um, I have some relatives I don't think are believers. Um, here, here's the good news. All those folks that we're not even sure about, we wonder if they've just kind of gone too far. Or there's no way that God can love them in that lifestyle or they've done too much that God, mm, no. God said, anyone and everyone. That's the great news. So you might have someone, I know you're praying for lost people. Um, this scripture says those folks can be saved. That's the great news, okay? All right, so that's Romans chapter 10, the first part. Um, fabulous, fabulous scripture because it talks about stop going the wrong way, start going the right way, and everyone, anyone can come at the very moment and come to know Christ as Lord. That is fabulous news. Is that right? Say yes. yes. Fabulous news. Oh, oh, come on. Is that fabulous news? Yes. yes. Okay. Mr. Song Leader, yep. let's sing some more. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys.